Church, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, I am super just thrilled to see us uh, change up what we're doing once again and just continue to stay fluid with what is going on uh, and be more about what we as a church can do together and in this time rather than how we do and what we get done. We're actually gonna be talking a lot about that today because uh, over the next three weeks, uh, we are going to be talking about the values of our church and the mission of our church. And every year I usually go over this and some of you this may be repeat, but it's something that we need to go over time and time again because this is what God has called our church to do. And because we got kicked out of IS30 in November, I never got to do this in January as we switched to house church. And I really felt that as we made this transition now, that God was impressing it upon my heart that we need to remember the values of our church, what God has originally called us to. And one thing that has changed as we switched over to house church when we were no longer meeting in the school is there was something that God spoke very clearly to me, to many of the other leaders, and that is that we, you know, we've had our regular values since we started as a community, discipleship, creativity, you've probably heard this said a million times, but we felt like prayer had it to be added to that. Uh, and what happened was the work of prayer really began in a, in a powerful way when we switched out of IS30 to meeting in house churches because there was a new dependency on God. We didn't have all of the accompaniments that we really love and all the things and uh, our, our services, our Sunday gatherings were really stripped down to the bare essentials. Uh, we didn't know where we were going to meet, what that was going to look like, and that meant that we as a church really threw ourselves on God. I remember many prayer meetings right here in Blend uh, where we were crying out to God about next steps and what we were going to do. And God spoke very clearly to me that, Justin, this was not supposed to be a moment in our church's history where the work of prayer went deeper. This was supposed to be how prayer would be for the rest of our church history. And so that's why we're going to be covering, uh, while we talk about values, community discipleship and prayer, because I really believe this needs to be the focus and the foundation of our church. God has spoken this to us from the very beginning. He has spoken it to us over and over and over again, and we need to be reminded of that today. And so, uh, the important thing that we need to remember is that our church is formed around values and not methods. And what I mean by that is there are a lot of ways to do church, right? You can do big church, what we used to do. You could do small church, like we have been doing. You could do Zoom church. You can do pre-record church. There are a lot of ways to have a service and an assembly and a gathering but that God did not call us to a specific model as a church. If you've gone through membership, then you remember when we talked about creativity, we talked about how our methods would constantly change. What would never change was the values that God has called us to in the preaching of the gospel, the mission that God has called the church to since Jesus ascended into heaven. So those things will never change. And so our methods will constantly change. And so we're, what I'm hoping to do is to remind us of the values that God has called us to and what that means for our church and call us back to a remembrance of what God has called us to be since the very beginning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read one of my uh, favorite passages of how the church is described in the early church. And it's in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. And if you've 
been in this church for more than a year and a half, two years. This is probably an outplayed verse to you, but I will keep on coming back to it because it is the vision of the church that when I think of Zion, when I think of us, what God has called us to be, it is laid out clearly here in scripture. And so we're going to read that together. It's in Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I want to give you some backstory here. Uh, This is one of the most beautiful pictures of the church, and it is one of the earliest descriptions of the church. What just happened is in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is done with his physical ministry here on earth. He ascends into heaven. He gives right before the Great Commission... And he tells the disciples, go, wait, I'm sending the helper. So the disciples, they go, the promised helper, the Holy Spirit comes in a very powerful way earlier in Acts chapter two. Peter preaches the first sermon in Acts outside of Jesus, the early church. And after he preaches that sermon, 3,000 people get saved. The first mega church is born right there in Jerusalem. Peter preaches the gospel, literally 3,000 people come to know Jesus and are saved in that moment. And so after Peter's message, really the church as we know it today is born for the first time. These were strangers, people that didn't know each other, that had never heard of each other. I mean, when the Holy Spirit had come upon them right before that, they thought these Crazy people were drunk because they were praying in tongues and they were hearing their languages and the gospel preached in all these different languages. So these are complete strangers and there's thousands of them, yet the gospel is preached, their lives are changed and they come together and the church is born. The the work of the Holy Spirit is evident and you see that in the outcomes of what is happening after Peter preaches. And what happens is they begin to form rhythms and really become one body and one church and a community. And what is born is this beautiful picture of what we see of the the early church. I think it's really a garden moment. When we think of the garden and Adam and Eve, you think of this kind of the sinless time, this, this beautiful time where the you know human sin hadn't entered into the picture yet. They had perfect union and communion with God. Uh, you know, God is, walks around in the garden with them. They have a beautiful relationship and, and the world is perfect, right? They, there's, there's no sin. There's no sadness. There's no sickness. There's no depression. None of that. It is a, a beautiful existence. And so I, I think that this is the church's garden moment where the church is, is first born. Human nature hasn't come in yet. Politics hasn't come in yet, right? The, 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 the sinfulness of, of man hasn't entered into the systems of the church, into the relationships of the church yet. And so you get this beautiful picture as man is constantly trying to strive back to the garden where we have 
ultimate relationship with God, heaven on earth. There is nothing, no barrier, nothing, no sickness. This beautiful picture of from the garden to revelation, I, I think of this picture of this is what the church is striving constantly to be. It's, it is the garden moment of the church before human sinfulness really gets in the way as it always does, but it's a, a visionary picture that we get to look at and, and constantly come back to. And so 3,000 people get saved. What happens next? And this is the, the verse that we're going to focus on for this week, what the church focuses on. And we see that in verse, 32, uh, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There are three things that we see here. We see community, we see discipleship, and we see prayer. That's what we're going to talk about how these things were the very foundational pillars of the early church and how they should be the foundational pillars and continue to be the pillars of our church. Not how we do things, right? Those things can change. Whether we meet, however we meet, are people being discipled? Are we getting into the word? Are we diving deeper into community? Are we praying? These are the questions that we should be asking. Not where we meet, how we meet, all of these other things that we could be asking. We need to ask, are these values truly being met in our church? Because this is what God has called us to be as a church. So the first thing that we see here, it says that they did. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. At Zion, we define discipleship like this, growing in our knowledge and obedience to Scripture. Growing in our knowledge and our obedience to Scripture. Right? This is exactly what the apostles are teaching here. And we know that because we have their sermons, we have the New Testament, we see what they are doing, we see what they are preaching. We know that they are handing down what Jesus has taught. They are re-expositing the Old Testament. They're sharing how the new covenant applies to them now. And so they're diving deeply into the scriptures. We see Paul, the apostle, gets saved, who used to be a Pharisee who knows the scripture in and out and starts reapplying Jewish thought, Jewish scripture, Jewish logic into this New Testament Christ-centered way where he literally takes Jewish hymns and puts Jesus at the center of these things. And so the apostles, what happened is the, the people would sit at their feet and begin to learn and understand who is Jesus. One of the, the most beautiful things in the gospel is that I wish I was there for this moment. After Jesus raises from the dead, we see that he, uh, he meets with the disciples again, and it says that he walks them through the law and the prophets, and he shows them how all of the law and all of the prophets pointed to him, and I wish I was there. That's one of those conversations in history that like, if I can go to heaven, I, I imagine in heaven that there's going to be like a, a history rewind because there's no time. This is a time is a constructed space for us, for all, all of my philosophy friends in the church. God is above time, outside of time. He has created time. So I, I wonder in heaven, will I be able to go back in time and kind of relive some history? And one of the moments that I've imagined reliving is the moment where Jesus goes through the law and the prophets and shows how all these things point to him. And so what the disciples do, who are now the apostles, then begin to teach these 3,000 people 
who Jesus is and they begin to teach the scripture and obedience and the, the knowledge of God leads to the obedience of God, right? We just went over what obedience is, what loving God is, giving God all. It's obeying God, all of his commands. And so this is the, literally the first thing that they do. 3,000 people get saved and you see that they devoted themselves to scripture. Discipleship has to be at the core of what we do as a church. And I don't care how we get it done. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what methods we use, whether it's small groups, whether it's large groups, whether it's large gatherings, whether it's online, whether it's in person, if it's in a backyard, if it's in a coffee shop, if it's in my house, if it's in a basement, it does not matter. The thing that I want to be asking is, are we hungry to know God? Are we hungering after scripture? Are we hungering to be obedient to the things that we learn that when we read and we, we, we open up the scriptures that we are saying, God, don't only teach me about you, but change my heart that I would know you in a deeper way, that I would walk in obedience to you in a new way. That is the question that we need to be asking. Are we hungry to learn? Are we hungry to obey? And when we're hungry for these things, when these are the things that, that, that propel us, that move us forward, that shape us, it doesn't matter what form that we get that. What matters is that we get it. Right? There are a million different ways to have a Bible study. But the, the, the thing is, is are we diving into Scripture? Are we doing it with other people? Are we doing it alone? Are we hungry to do it? Are we sitting at the feet of teachers that can really pour into us and open up the Scriptures, open up our eyes to Jesus and all the beautiful places that He is from the beginning to the end of Scripture? Are we hungry to learn? Are we hungry to obey? At Zion, this is why we do so many of the things that we do. The, the methods that we have produced as a church have been centered around this idea of discipleship. The reason why I preach the way I do, where we go verse by verse, we go through books of the Bible, is because I want everybody to understand when you go home and read the Bible, how to read the Bible so that it's not some uh, you know, mystical thing or hard thing or you know, this, this, this old ancient book that maybe one day I'll learn how to read it, but it's accessible to all of us. So when we go through a book, like when we went through Philippians, that we can go home and now read Philippians and understand what it's saying and learn how to go through other books of the Bible slowly to digest it, to learn about it, to be obedient, to allow the Holy Spirit to come and maturate what we are learning and reading and, and transform and change and renew our heart and do the work that the Holy Spirit does. But we have to be able to, to see the importance of why God keeps on calling us back to that in Scripture. See, the, the, the thing at our church is we believe the Bible from beginning to end. We don't care where culture goes. We don't care if culture is saying this, is saying that, whether it's affirming what we believe or whether it comes against what we believe. That does not matter to us. What matters to us is that we have the truth. And when we have that, when we believe that there's an ultimate all-powerful all-knowing God who has given us a word who has said, you can know me through this. 
And this word is, has literally come and walked on the earth as flesh. It says in John chapter one that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word I give you and, it will, and you can know it and it will change your life. What we do centers around this. That the early church was centered around scripture, was centered around learning it, was centered around obeying it. That what they read wasn't just some great knowledge for another day that maybe they'll pull out of their bag someday, but it was something that would change their life forever. The second thing that they did was they dove into community. If you read, I'll read the next part of verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. This is describing communion. Communion today is a lot different than the early church did communion. Today we know communion as a sacrament. Uh, we know it as, you know, uh, taking a piece of bread and getting that little cup of really good sugary grape juice uh, and eating the bread and taking the shot of the grape juice. And, and, and this is communion. We practice it on a Sunday assembly together. Uh, maybe we do that every week. Maybe we do it once a month. You know, it depends on what your historical tradition of communion is. But this is not communion of the early church. Communion and community really derive from the same word. And what communion was for the early church was it was a shared meal. What communion was, was it was a time of fellowship for people to get together. And when they fellowship, when they came and they hung out and they threw a party and they had food, what did they do? They remembered Christ. So their community was not just so, hey, let's hang out and have a good time. Their community was not centered around fun. It was not centered around what we wanted to do. It was not centered around, you know, how great of a time we could have. It was centered around Jesus. It was centered around remembering Jesus. So when we get around for community, when we have dinner parties or we have a meal together, you have somebody over your house and you remember Jesus in that moment, you take a, a sacred moment during that time to say, let's remember what God has done for us. You are participating in communion like the early church participated in communion. Being together for the early church would not have been whole unless Christ was remembered while they were together. And so I want us to think about Jesus for a second because I, this is what I love about the community uh, value of our church. Jesus was always at the center of the party, always at the center of the party. And if Jesus wasn't actually at a party, he was usually talking about a party. And that's what I love about him because so often we have this crazy idea of Jesus that, you know, he was just kind of this hippie loving dude that just went around and was like, yeah, peace man, you know, everybody should just love everybody. And yeah, love was definitely at the center of what he talked about, but he was also at the center of so many parties and parties were the center of so many of his stories. And so Jesus was not some boring dude to walk around with and be around. Jesus, he was, you know, I, when I say I wanna be more like Jesus, I think about all the great meals that Jesus had with people. And I think like, yeah, that's the dude I wanna be more like. I wanna enjoy really good meals. But people, I, I think of Jesus's first miracle in the book of John, like, I want to be that dude where they ran out of wine at the wedding and Jesus literally turned their water into wine and it was the best wine that they had at the wedding. That dude is the life of the party. That's the guy that I want to be. This is his first miracle 
where he literally saves a multi multiple day wedding bash. And the wine taster is like, yo, I need to talk to that dude. Tell him to come over here. And he, he, he calls the, the groom and he tells the groom like, yo, what are you doing? You got the, you saved the best wine for last. Usually what they would do, you know, little trick of the trade is they would give everybody the great alcohol first, let them get a little tipsy, let them get a little far, then they really aren't tasting as well as they used to. So then they'd bring out the bad alcohol. Now, Jesus does not condone getting tipsy or getting drunk or anything like that. Uh, but what they would do back in the day in the party is they would make sure bad alcohol lasts because people don't really care as much when they got it out. But yet Jesus makes this wine. He saves the party where they ran out of the alcohol and he is the center of that party. That's his first miracle. When you think of some of the most legend uh, parables, I think of the prodigal son the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost uh, coin. These parables, what, are, what, is, what do these things happen at the end? At, at the end of every single one of these parables, there's a party that is thrown. And this party symbolizes the party that is thrown in heaven every time someone comes to know Jesus. Like, think about it. How, many, how much partying is going on and having community, fellowship, getting together and having a great time with people is part of human nature. It is how God wired us as people. And this is deeply part of who Jesus is. Every time someone gets saved, there is a party in heaven. When Jesus was born, it says that they looked into the heavens and the angels were rejoicing, screaming, hallelujah. They were throwing a party in heaven. How many times have you read that Jesus went to somebody's house and reclined at the table and ate? I'm just thinking like, yo, this dude is a G. He was reclining at the table and just eating at everybody's house. You know who you are when you never pay for a meal and you just go to different people's houses and you mooch off them. Like, yeah, you can now say that you were just being more like Jesus. I'm sorry that I threw that out because I know some people are going to come to my house now and just be like, yo, Justin, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. Where's the food right now? And I'm going to say I'm still working to be like Jesus in this area in my life. Uh, and so when you think of Jesus, this, he, he was at festivals, like he, Jesus, he took 12 people and he, he took three of those people and he let them into the inner workings of his life. These people saw him sweat. They saw him cry. They saw him have personal moments with his father. Then he had these 12 people and he entrusted these 12 people with his life. He went through betrayal with one of these people, literally sold him out, backstabbed him to the authorities, ratted him out for some money so that he would go and be killed. Jesus had the crowd, the people that he was acquaintance with, with the 120, the thousands, the multitudes that would follow him. Jesus had deep community at every level. He had his close inner circle. He had his good friends. He had his acquaintances. He had the people that he hung out with once in a while. Jesus knew how to be in a party. And he literally gave us two things that we had to do, two rituals as a church. And one of those is hanging out with each other and remembering him. This is why community is such a deep part of our church. Because we know that we cannot be a real church unless we go deeply with one another. It is not enough in this life to go just deeply with God. God did not wire us that way. He did not make the Christian walk that way. He did not, 
He did not structure the church that way. He structured it so that we go deep with God and we go deep with each other. And so as a church, we know the importance of community. And not only does scripture point to this so often, but when you look around us in our city, right? This is an age of more communication than ever before. The age of social media, the age of email, the age of texting. When you looked at our, our, our city, in Bay Ridge alone, there are 70,000 people. In Sunset Park, there are 120,000 people. This is just a couple of square miles. They're literally the same amount of land in Ohio where I lived had 100 people. And yet we have 70,000 people in that same amount of land. You would think we are super close. There's people all around us, yet we are some of the loneliest people in the world. Why? Because closeness and proximity does not mean closeness in relationship. All what the internet, what social media, what it's done is it's given us this false sense of community. And we want to totally destroy that in our church. We want deep-rooted community where I actually know you. But not only do I know you, but I know the great things about you, I know the not-so-great things about you, and I love you because that is the love that God shows us and then teaches us to show others. So it is a beautiful picture of Scripture. And I think this is why it's always centered around meals because I don't care who you are. When you sit down with a meal, you let some walls down. And I have gotten to know some of my best friends by just going, hanging out, getting some lunch, getting some dinner, inviting people over the house. This is what it is about. So I wanna encourage you when it comes to community that there are two things that I believe it takes to dive deep in community. One is getting to know others and two is allowing other people to get to know you. Those two things are incredibly important and they can happen in a variety of ways. We have seen a million ways. Like if you've joined Zoom lunch hangouts that we've had with the church, you've gotten to know some people. If you joined our Zoom workouts, you've gotten to know some people, maybe in that way, not in the ways that you wanted. If you watched me work out with my family, you probably learned of the awkwardness of me and Judah trying to do some workouts with Victoria. Um, and that didn't last too long because I realized working out with four kids around me just isn't the best idea. Uh, but there are so many ways that we can get to know each other, but it takes commitment to get to know someone. Just like it takes commitment to get to know God, it takes commitment to get to know other people and commitment to allow other people in to get to know you. So I wanna challenge us as a church that during the season, don't close those walls, don't bring up extra barriers. This is actually a time more than ever that we need to begin to reach out to people and allow other people into our lives. So we do not go through what is happening right now alone, but we do it as God intended us to do it with each other. This is not the first time the church has struggled through a pandemic. This is not the first time the church has struggled with chaos around them. This will not be the last time, and guess what? The church has not only survived, but it has thrived through hard times. And so this can be a time that you see, even in your spiritual walk, you thriving in your relationship with God because you are allowing relationship with other people. The third thing that they did is this. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. 
Scholars believe when we talk about prayers, they're talking about prayers that they did in houses with one another and also prayers that they did at the temple. Prayer was a regular part of the early church life. They had times of prayer in the morning, times of prayer in the afternoon, times of prayer before they went to bed. They, have, they had regular scheduled corporate prayer. They had prayer that they would do by themselves. There are three places in the early church that you read about just in the beginning of Acts that if they did not practice prayer as a deep-rooted value, the church would not be here today. The first place is the coming of the Holy Spirit earlier in Acts chapter 2. They were in the upper room waiting and praying. And while they were waiting and praying, what happens? The fire of God, the Holy Spirit, falls upon them. And without them staying and being obedient to God in prayer and in waiting for him in that upper room, who knows what would have happened? The Holy Spirit came at that moment, and we all know that without the Holy Spirit, we are doomed to ever walk out the life that God has called us to walk out. The second time is when they begin to get persecuted. The first time Peter gets taken in, he gets beaten, and he gets told, don't preach the gospel of Jesus anymore. What happens as soon as he is released he goes and he prays and the Holy Spirit comes and they are filled with boldness and they go out and they preach with even more boldness and more faith. They could have at that moment not prayed, went home, been discouraged, been depressed and said, forget about it. I'm throwing in the towel. But instead, what did they do? They prayed. And because of that, the movement of the church was reinvigorated, reignited, and they went and preached with more fervor, more boldness than ever before. That could have been the end of the church right there. And the third time was when Peter was waiting for a meal. See, I love how much scripture is focused around meals. Peter's waiting for a meal to be cooked. And you ever have somebody that just like takes forever to cook? My uncle was like that. He would, after church, we would go over his house to cook and I would go home, go there like, yo, I'm ready, I'm hungry, let's get, let's get down. And then five hours later, I'm like, Uncle Lenny, when is the food coming? Like, I'm starving right now. But it was always, you know, that kind of cook waiting is always worth it, is always worth the wait. And so Peter is waiting for his food. Maybe he's mad hungry. He goes up to the roof and he begins to pray. And in that vision is the vision that Peter gets where God tells him that the gospel is not just for Jews, but it is also for the Gentiles. So that changes, literally changes the trajectory of the church. If you know New Testament history, then you know this becomes one of the hottest contested topics in all of early church history. And if it wasn't for that moment, who knows what would have happened. The, the church could have just been a small Jewish sect that we read about as a footnote in a history book today if it wasn't for that moment of prayer that Peter had while he was waiting for his meal to finish. We must be a praying church. We have to be. There's, there's no other way for us to move forward as a church. When we do not pray, when we do not pray, there is one big thing that we are telling God. We are telling God this. We could do this without you. We're good. That is one of the most prideful and arrogant positions that we can take as a church is to not pray because that tells God, we got this whole thing figured out. We're good. We don't need you. Right? Prayer is the most humbling thing I think that a Christian can do. Why do I say that? Because it's a clear sign to God that you understand your wretchedness, that you understand your need for his strength, for his power, 
and for his guidance. That's you going before the throne and saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. I need your strength. I need your power. I can't get through today unless I go. I, I, I need you. And when we don't go before the throne as a church that's saying, we don't need you. We can do this on our own. But when we go before the throne as a church, we're saying, God, this is not ours. We may plant we may water, but it is you who brings the increase. It is you who brings the increase. And that constant level of prayer that we have at church is saying to God constantly, God, we know who really grows this thing. We know who really makes this happen. We know who is in charge. We know who is the head of this church. It is not one person. It is not me. It is God. It is his spirit. And he is the one who leads us. There is something that I've told our leadership team. I've told every member since the very first day. And it is this. If we cannot look back at what has happened and point to God and say, it is only possible that all this has happened because of God, then we have done something wrong. And if we can look back and we can say, look at what we did, then I know the only way that that will happen is if we stop praying. Because if we stay in a prayerful attitude as a church, it is guaranteed that when we go in the future and we look back, we will say one thing, look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. When we have a church that counts the cost, and becomes true disciples of Jesus, goes deep in community with one another, and never forsakes the work of prayer, then I think we have an unstoppable church. It doesn't matter what will come our way. It doesn't matter what will happen to us. In the early church, when they were doing this, they were literally being killed in the streets, being dragged out of their homes, beaten, jailed, and robbed of their lives yet that did not defeat them. Why? Because they walked in these things, in these deep-rooted pillars. And when we do that as a church, it doesn't matter what happens around us. It doesn't matter what chaos is in the world. It doesn't matter what the enemy has in store for us. We will persevere. And we will realize that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That means we will stay on the offensive. We will be the ones bringing the battle to Satan. We will be the ones bringing the battle to the kingdom of darkness, and we will be the ones who are prevailing because we will be united in community. We will be full of the word as our weapon, and we will be full of the Holy Spirit through prayer to conquer anything that comes our way. I want to encourage you today. Talk with your house church. Talk with your friends in the church. How can you dive deeper into these values? Let God move among you in a new way. What would it look like to not center around what we do or what we have done, but instead to center around discipleship, around community, and around prayer as a church? What would it look like that we really thought about these things instead of thinking about how they got accomplished, that when we looked at what is success among us, we asked ourselves, are we going deeper in our obedience to scripture? Are we forming deeper bonds and relationship with each other? Are we diving deeper in our dependence upon God in prayer? What we're going to do next week 
is we're gonna look at what the recipe of these things will happen when a church does this. And so I want you this week to make sure you're talking with your house church, get into some conversation in your WhatsApp group, emails, however you guys are communicating, and talk about these values. What will happen if we walk these out as God has called us to do? Can you join me in prayer? God, don't let us forget. Don't let us forget what you have called Zion to from the very beginning. Lord, that we would not get hung up on how it looks and the methodology and the strategy and the things that we do every day, but we would get hung up on the things that you have called us to get hung up on. Help us to walk out this life as a church, remembering these core pillars that you have called us to live by. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.